Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, in today's show, I had the pleasure of speaking with Sean Clark, the Associate Vice President of Sales and Leasing at Avis & Young. Avis & Young is a global real estate advisor. They specialize in commercial real estate. Sean provides a high-level view of what areas Avis & Young provides services in, then we dive into cap rates, the Calgary market and office space, why AA space is the most competitive, and many other topics. In the coming weeks, we're planning on recording additional commercial investing shows. Stay tuned for them. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Sean, I just wanted to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How's it going today? Thank you, Corey. It's an honor, honestly, to have uh, Avis and Young join the podcast. And this morning's going pretty quiet. I think, what is it, 7.05 a.m. So it's nice and relaxing this morning. I do have to admit, this is the earliest I've ever done a recording. But hey, this is good. A great way to start the day, right? <laughs> We're morning people over here. So that's right. We appreciate yeah. you accommodating our time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're with Avis and Young. Could you start off maybe just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? What's keeping you yeah, busy so, these days? So, born and raised. Calgary and Corey. I did go to school in the US at Duke University. And then I had a little stint living abroad in Munich, Germany. Ultimately came back, just my whole family's in the city. And what's keeping me busy, obviously, I've been at Avis Young now for nearly five years. What I would say is back to work. You know, a lot of companies, they're starting to consider their hybrid work models, what that looks like for their staff, for their culture, for their workplace, what needs to adapt. So those are some really big conversations that we're having with a lot of our clients. Second conversation that we're having with a lot of our clients is owner-user investment opportunities. There's quite a few obviously entrepreneurs in Calgary. And what they're seeing is, you know, bringing our staff back to work, is it better to lease or is it better to own? So we're having a lot of conversations with business owners on, you know, first off, there's not a lot of product in the market. So making sure that we're front to mind and we're keeping them updated on when something comes available but really just keeping our nose to the ground to make sure that we're finding those opportunities for our clients. Yeah, that's awesome. And maybe for those who don't know much about Avis and Young, could you give us maybe a, just a 10,000 foot view, you know, what you guys do, where you specialize and what areas you kind of focused on? Certainly. So like what I can say is Avis and Young is a client focused, we're full service real estate brokerage. What that means is we touch every single asset class from office, industrial, retail, capital markets, we do tax, we do valuation, we have a workplace consulting arm, property management, property tax. We have a debt service team who actually helps you negotiate your commercial debt on your projects, your construction projects. So we really pride ourselves in having a full service portfolio. And that's really why we compete at that level is because we can support our clients wherever they need us. That's amazing. And that's a lot of areas that we definitely are not unpacking that today. We need multiple shows to get into all that. Multiple, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. So my audience is primarily investors. So how do you guys help investors, certainly on the commercial side or multifamily, that kind of thing? Great question. So what I would say is investors are very different, right? You can put them all into one pile, but they all have different metrics at the end of the day that are looking to hit for whatever their goals are. So our first goal really is to learn about them, right? We want to listen. We're their guide. We're their advisor. We're not telling them what to do. We're telling them how to do it to match what they want to achieve. Secondly, we really have a full understanding of whatever asset class they're looking for. So whether that's office, whether that's industrial, we track all of those 
opportunities in the market. The difference with residential, probably for a lot of your clients, is there's no centralized MLS for commercial real estate. It's a lot more, I would say, hidden, if that's a better word I could use. Just not public knowledge, typically. And so we have a lot of very good relationships with owners who you know potentially want to sell. But at the same time, they're not marketing it broadly to the open market. So we give our clients those types of opportunities if they're looking to purchase those assets. And then I would say, finally, we're advisors, right? We're helping people draft documentation. We're helping people do the analysis for the financials. We're helping them to negotiate the deals. And then, you know, once again, we can connect them to lawyers. We can connect them to assessors, all these types of things to make sure that we can close on the property effectively to make sure that our clients are happy. So that's sort of the full service that we all. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I did want to circle back because you said you've been there for five years and obviously you went through the COVID, you know, with the changes that create it. And then there's some adaptation. And I've heard, and I'm sure you see this, where some of these larger corporations are changing. Like, you know, I've heard that they're starting to call employees back and like, and some of them have almost like a modified schedule. Is that kind of, are you seeing like more space being sought after because it, some of these big companies are pulling people back into the office? Great question. So what I would say, Corey, is the general consensus is people are coming back to the office. Where there's variability is in the amount that people are coming back. What we're seeing with a lot of our clients is it's not necessarily culture specific, it's role specific. So if you're a CEO, if you're an executive, if you're a leader, maybe for a client-facing sales position, typically you're in the office more often than not. If you're back office, accounting, HR, something that's not necessarily client-facing and you don't have a large team, those roles can typically work from home more often than not, right? So a lot of things are playing into those like drive times, parking. Is there enough space to have staff? During COVID, a lot of these companies actually grew and now their office space is too small. And then once again, some of these organizations, they have larger office space and they could fill it if everyone showed up, but you know, due to the hybrid work schedule, maybe they're only 60% occupants. So it really is a mixed bag of what we're finding with a lot of our clients. And once again, like I said before, our job is simply to listen to what our clients want and what they need. And then we come up with solutions. Realistically, like I said, more often than not, people are coming back to the office. It's more of a function of what works best for the role and what works best for the culture of the company. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you mentioned for some clients, and you know, say owning and property versus leasing, and then kind of mm-hmm. weighing out the pros and cons. I guess I don't have the full picture, but I always think owning is better because obviously you're paying the asset down. But what's maybe a quick example of where leasing would make more sense for somebody? Great question. Deal with that question all the time. So when you own an asset, it depends. There's two different types, right? You can have like a condo style ownership model, or you can have an actual owner user standalone product. And the difference really is compared to leasing is there's far less management. So when you lease a property, similar to when you rent a condo, you show up, you use the property for what it is, you go home at the end of the day. If you need to replace the HVAC, if there's a flood or there's some sort of incident to the property, it doesn't necessarily affect you immediately. Now, on a triple net lease, tenants will still have to cover a portion, if not all of those repairs through the operating costs. But once again, there's a lot of logistical headaches and things that you know landlords have to deal with the tenants who rent don't necessarily have to manage. Once again, that's why it's important to make sure that you're choosing a landlord that you can trust, right? And that's where we come in. 
a lot of people, they just look at the numbers and we look at the full picture. We understand who the landlord is, what their quality of ownership is, what type of tenants they specialize in. So it's a deeper picture than simply just looking at the numbers. That makes sense. And obviously the capital input that you would require, right? So if I was going to buy a building versus, hey, I'm just going to lease, yes. the capital out of pocket obviously would be quite a bit different to initially to buy, right? You're completely correct, Corey. I mean, it depends if you're, but once again, what the client really wants out of their money. A lot of people tell us they don't want to put the money into the building because you're right, it gets locked up. But then we hear some private business owners who say, you know, I want an asset for me when I retire or something that I can pass down to my family. Or maybe they see some sort of operational efficiency by owning their property because maybe it's a unique standalone building that doesn't necessarily work for something else on a lease basis, or they can control the signage or how the building is constructed. So there's definitely some operational benefits, but you're right. If you have to put the down payment or sometimes they pay all cash, it really depends on the structure financially of the company, what their goals are long-term with the asset and the efficacy of them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Great answer. So what asset classes does Avis and Young specialize in? As mentioned, we, we specialize in pretty much all asset classes, right? I mean, everything from land to industrial, office, multifamily, retail. We're so everything. Working. That's amazing. I guess let's dive into office space a little bit. So can you explain what office asset class actually is? Great question, actually. You know, maybe I should have looked at the exact definition, but it's typically based on zoning. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, four walls, depending on if it has an elevator shaft or those types of things. Typically more administrative, pure offices, things yeah, like the law firms and those types. Does that answer your question? It, it does, to... yeah. Where I was kind of curious about was, you know how they'll say it's a double A asset versus maybe oh, a triple A? Yeah, quality. But, yeah, maybe can you kind of explain that for the listeners? Yeah, okay. No, that's a great question. So similar to probably, you know, luxury homes and, you know, starter homes, there's definitely a difference in quality of the asset class in office. You know, you have class C, class B, class A, class AA, and it's a white to black grayscale. So there's no necessarily hard and fast rules, but typically what you look at is when was the building constructed? What level of amenities are within the building? So is there a gym? I mean, our building in 8th Avenue Place downtown, it has a sauna, right? <laughs> it has showers with towel service. This is a class A, a double A, right? In that respect. And it really depends on obviously the operating costs will fluctuate. Not necessarily up substantially, because what you'll notice as well is when you look at these class A, class AA buildings, they're actually more efficient, right? So there's a lot of like lead or well standards, like these types of building standards where maybe their energy usage is lower. Maybe their ability to maintain and regulate heat is better. A lot of these things actually lower the utility bills and create less carbon dioxide emissions. So there's a lot of really cool things that are going on at the top level. And then quickly on the class C and the class B, the class C, and sort of that lower class B, those are the properties that you hear about in the downtown that are being converted to residential. A lot of the office tenants in Calgary's office market, they don't want to occupy those buildings. One, they're not attracting the staff back to the office. Two, they just don't have the amenities really that make people enjoy being at the office. Maybe they don't have the right location. Maybe the landlord doesn't necessarily want to invest as much in the property. There's a multitude of issues with those types of assets. And what we're seeing now is people are buying those and they're converting them now to residential buildings. So that's a pretty exciting update that we know as well. Yeah, I think that's quite smart, actually, to just reuse that space, repurpose it. 
we'll see. It's early stages. And I think like real estate's a long-term game. I think and, it's exciting. It's a good strategy. We'll see where that plays out in the coming years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then obviously they're not upgrading some of these Bs to say, I try to go to a double A office space. Is that right? At least in Calgary. Like, cause, is it because we have yeah. a lot of vacant extra office space, you know, right now? Great question, Corey. So yes, they are. There was a period of time where a lot of these buildings didn't have amenities and they were installing common area conference facilities, common area gyms, you know, maybe new reception areas. So yes, landlords were competing off of upgraded amenities within properties. Not all buildings, but that was definitely a trend that we saw, call it three, four years ago. But now most buildings, that's sort of a common denominator. It's almost like a requirement the stage. It's interesting how it's kind of changed over the years, isn't it? Like uh, <laughs> 10 years ago, these things, type of things weren't higher priority, I don't think for... Well, I mean, vacancy rate right now and the downtown core overall is 27.2%. Beltline, we're looking at the overall vacancy rate. And these are all from our Q3 office numbers, 25.7%. So landlords have to be extremely competitive to win business, right? It's a tenant market. 100% is a tenant market rate. I was also wondering location, how does that affect the class? Let's say if you are more in the Beltline than right in the core. Great question. So location definitely does affect the class of the building. Obviously, something that's more central downtown core, central Beltline. I mean, I don't actually know where you live, Corey, but if you ever go into the Beltline, there's some areas where they have a lot of these brand new multifamily developments, and you'll see just the quality of the buildings, the amenities that are in the buildings. And they do congregate together. There's sort of like that shared association. And then obviously just through time, development and city planning, zoning, that's definitely where they've just settled, if that makes any sense, right? There's definitely these sort of nodes in the downtown and the line, even in suburbia, right? There's like certain areas in the south and the north where you see quality buildings just because that was the time their builds and technology that was available at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. So in the residential world, cash flow is kind of the big term, right? And, and a lot of investors mm-hmm. are always looking for a positive cash flow. In commercial world, it's cap rate. So can you explain cap rate? Great question. So cap rate is, and just for listeners here, it's uh, the NOI, the net operating income over the value of the property. And what you can do is you can say, okay, well, if you're trying to value the property of an asset, you can take sort of an average cap rate of what you're seeing in the market, and then you can sort of extrapolate what the net operating income for the property is to get the value of the building. It's typically, Corey, used more as a comparison tool. As you know, a lot of these very sophisticated landlords, they have these extremely long, complex analyses they run on these assets, right? So cap rate is a very early stage comparative tool when you're looking to purchase an asset. And you know, as you and I discussed earlier, there's a lot of shifts going on right now in the cap rate. And the reason being is, you know, interest rate fluctuations, vacancy rates have really pushed down the values, just the total values of office space in Calgary. And then obviously there's comparable sales in the market for these lower quality class C, class B buildings that have been, you know, sold really just to convert to residential. It's a very interesting market right now in the office world in Calgary, where cap rates are definitely used but sometimes don't tell the full story of why the value of the building is where it is. That makes any sense. I know it's probably not the most clear question. No, that's very helpful. Yeah. What I find interesting too about commercial world is you can increase the value by getting your net operating income, increasing that part of it, right? Whereas in residential world, you know, you charge, maybe you get to increase your rental amount, but really 
your asset value is going to stay the same. Maybe more people will be interested in it if you go to sell it, but the actual value of that house is not really going to change based on your, you know, you have to do other things to it, right? Increase the value. Yes. And you're right. So we have seen obviously you know, shifts in net rent over the last five years, which do affect the operating income. But you also hit the nail on the head, right? These landlords are investing significantly to compete, right? In some instances, they're literally tearing out full there's a building in the Beltline called The District, and they completely gutted the building, a brand new food hall, new restaurant, new coffee shop. Like they went to the nines to reconstruct this building and it's showing up in their net rent, right? They're commanding those higher rents simply because the quality of the asset is higher now. But once again, I mean, that's not a standard investor. These are very comprehensive investors and uh, and finance companies effectively that are saying, hey, like this is an extremely long-term view. We have a ton of cash and capital from investors. So it's almost on a different level when it comes to the commercial office space when you're comparing to residential at that level, I should say. Yeah, yeah. What kind of typical cap rates are you seeing in Calgary? I know you said it was moving, but is there something like, I guess maybe you could explain how is it moved and what's driving it a little bit more? Yeah, so where we are seeing cap rates shift is on a comparable basis because the cost per square foot for these sales has dropped dramatically. So you're seeing a lot of these office towers in the Beltline and downtown go for, in some cases, as the conversions have come onto the market, seeing is these extremely low cost per square foot. And realistically, the cash flow in some of these buildings is almost negligible, right? Because there aren't any tenants in the building, right? So it's a completely different way of valuing the property. That's why cap rates have been a little bit harder to use right now. The office market has been more of a value play and a long-term conversion play, or even more like a, how do we upgrade this building to get more profit in the building, if that makes any sense. I just don't yep. want to give a cap rate because there's different asset classes. There's different class A, class B, class C. There's owner user cap rates. There's condos. That explains it well. I did want to circle back because, you know, in the residential world, at least in Calgary, actually probably right across Canada, the vacancy rates are actually very low in the residential world if you're looking to rent, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then you said the Q3 report was around 27, Beltline, I think 25 for downtown. It's okay if you don't have the numbers off the top of your head, but just to give us a general idea, what it would be like typical vacancy rates, say like in Vancouver, Toronto, when it comes to like a commercial asset, like, and because yeah, of COVID, has this number like kind of gone up a lot over the last few years? So what I would say is, Yes, vacancies have gone up in both Vancouver and in Toronto. I do not know those numbers off the top of my head. We have offices in both those markets. So quick little tidbit about Avis and Young, we're Canadian founded, Alberta and Ontario. So it was originally an amalgamation. So we have very strong teams in Toronto and in Vancouver. But you're right, commute times, where people want to live. Do people want to come back to the office full time? Vacancies are just naturally going to rise. It's just the tendency towards how people want to be working nowadays. I guess, did we overbuild on the commercial, you know, for office space in Calgary? Or is it COVID that affected it more, do you think? So that, that, once again, that's another great question. So what we like to tell a lot of our clients is Calgary as an economy is extremely healthy. Alberta as an economy is extremely healthy. I mean, you see a lot of great things, right? You see GDP growth is obviously leading the country. You see net immigration interprovincially is leading the country. Affordability leading the country. We're on the top of all of these livable city lists. Alberta in general, Calgary specifically, is doing well economically. 
you're right, we overbuilt office space. You're going to have some buildings that are just going to take an extended period of time to fill, not because Calgary isn't thriving. We just need bodies in seats, right? It's a pure population play, you know, like you can't fill it if people don't want to come into the office full time, right? And you have to be conscious about how you treat your employees to make sure that, you know, you have a strong culture. And I think that's really the difference between a commercial real estate broker and just looking at a residential investment, right? I mean, it's deeper than just numbers. You're trying to build something that is attractive to people to want to actually engage. And are the amenities friendly? Is it in a good location? And do people want to be there? Is there enough natural light? You know, it's a much deeper story than simply, oh, what's the cap rate? What's the value here? It's the full picture as an investor. How am I going to add value to this property? Is it a property that's going to, you know, go up or be valuable in the next 10 years based on what people want in their space? Yeah. So most people know, like, have a general idea of what it's like working with, say, a realtor looking for a residential property. But what is it like for someone to work with a commercial real estate advisor? Maybe just give us like a high level. So the difference typically is the size of the team. So, you know, I've purchased and sold a couple homes. And what I would say is typically you're working with a single agent when you're doing those transactions. In commercial real estate, it's no longer just one person coming in and solving the solution. We have comprehensive data. We have a lot of financial analyses that we run. We have you know, options packages. We have to coordinate tours. We have a proprietary system called Avant that Dave Sinyang actually created by itself. And it allows our clients to look at demographic data, drive time data, vacancy data, really comprehensive information that, you know, anecdotally, you can't just tell someone off the top of your head, right? We can drill down as deep as where do all the employees live, looking at A and looking at B, what's the difference in drive time? What's the demographics of these two areas, you know, in terms of hiring, are we going to be able to hire the next generation of the workforce up in this area or in this area, which is better for us? So that's the difference it's we really, really drill down because, you know, when someone's buying a house or even like a, a residential investment opportunity, right? Maybe it's like a condo. One, there's less risk. And two, the reason for using it is a bit more simplistic, right? You want to enjoy it. You want to make sure that you can at least fill with one person, maybe a family. With a lot of our purchases, it's, okay, how's this going to affect my business? How's this going to affect my revenue? How's this going to affect my executives? Is this a location that's expanding, is growing? Should I get in now? There's just so many complex questions that we have to answer before we can pull the trigger. And, and I think that's the real difference for like the team. It's not just the broker you're working with. It's what's the team behind them and can they coordinate and make sure that you're taking care of properly and make the best decision for you. Oh, yeah. It certainly sounds like there's a lot of moving parts and way more complex. <laughs> it makes sense that you need a team. Yes. I went for coffee with an investor and I was talking to him about, I think it was a multifamily deal that he was looking at. And, you know, as a realtor myself, when I walk in, I can write down what I feel like the maintenance costs are, all those type of things, right? I was asking him because I'm like, well, on a, say like a multifamily, a big multifamily unit, how do you say 3% margin of error of what you think your maintenance costs are going to be or your upcoming repairs, like that can be huge, right? Like that could be massive error. So I'm like, well, how do you have confidence that you know, you, you got that stuff right? And then he says, well, actually, that's how we kind of got connected with you guys. He said, he's got a guy at Avis and Young that analyzed the property and the, the asset and that kind of thing, right? That gives them the confidence. I'm like, oh, that makes sense, right? Because generally as an investor, you can't know everything. You have to rely on other you know people that are experts to do those analysis, right? Exactly. Maybe it's a high level, but if I were an investor and I'm like, I'm looking at a multifamily deal, can you just give us kind of a high level of what that looks like? Who's going to be in the team? How it's going to be analyzed, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, great. So let me step back on this whole process. So you come to Avis and Young, right? You're an investor or you're a developer and you're looking to get into the multifamily market. Maybe you have product already in the market. You reach out to us and then we would internally connect you with the best team in the office. We all specialize and then we would connect you to that team specifically. You know, you'd probably do some sort of an analysis on what your goals are, what your strategy is, where you want to be in the next, call it three, five, 10 years. What's your time horizon? And then, you know, we'll share with you, I should say, what's in the market? What's the opportunity? What are our expectations? What are we seeing? Sometimes there's off-market opportunities that aren't necessarily just available for you to find, right? We can listen to you and say, oh, hey, Corey, you want this? Well, you know, it's not necessarily listed, but we have some contacts. Let's see if there's something there for us. And then it comes the analysis part, right? I mean, once you find a product that you're interested in or maybe a site that you want to develop, there's opportunities for us to run those numbers for you cooperatively, right? So, you know, we run the numbers, we have a meeting, go over the numbers, discuss it, maybe we make some slight adjustments. Once we're happy with those or you, the client, are happy with those, we'll submit an offer, right? We'll submit the offer. And once we have the offer drafted, sit down again, make sure you're comfortable with everything, everything's well explained, submit it, negotiate it, say we close on the document and you're looking for, say, finance or you're looking for a legal review or you're looking for any of these types of things. One, we have a team internally that actually is a brokerage on commercial debt. So anything from bridge loans to term loans to CMHC, we have an extremely, extremely successful capital markets team. And so that's been really good for a lot of our investors, especially on the multifamily side. So it's a very long process. I don't want to make it sound complex because realistically, we do it all the time. So it's very seamless from our perspective. But the process is going to be multi-stage, right? And you're probably going to be dealing with multiple people within Avis and Young and partners that we would potentially... uh, you know, refer to you, or if you had your own, you know, partners, we would work with them. It's really a collaborative process. It's not just like I said, one person handling the whole thing. We really want to make sure that you're getting the best service provider for every step along the way, so that when it does inevitably close, you're satisfied and you knew or you know that you got the best service possible. That's awesome. So I wanted to just kind of circle on back on this one because I've heard this before. I'm not involved in the commercial side, but. I've heard by the time it hits MLS, typically, so like, let's say I'm like, I'm searching through and I'm like, oh, there's a car wash that's for sale on MLS. And now I've heard in the past that basically it's already been filtered and looked through by, you know, investors well before it ever touches MLS. So is that typically true? If you do want to find maybe what would be a better deal, you know, working with a team like you guys who are picking up these assets or know about them coming to market beforehand, is that, you know, kind of give you a leg up? Yes and no. I mean, so what I would say is as a broker, right, we're trying to create markets. So we're consistently speaking with property owners just to understand what their goals are with their products, right? Do you want to buy more? Do you want to sell something? What's your vision? So we already have that initial contact with these property owners. When you're dealing with a commercial real estate brokerage firm, they typically have some of the first information simply because we're having those conversations before anything even happens. Sometimes, you know, there are independent people who want to sell their building and they throw it up on MLS or they throw it up on some online site. And once in a while, I mean, very rarely, we'll find something on MLS. Once again, commercial real estate isn't necessarily marketed broadly on that type of a software. And I think a major value add, and just as just having a relationship with a commercial real estate broker, 
is simply getting the first information, right? We really pride ourselves on open communication at Angus and Young and partnership and making sure that you're working with the person who suits your needs the best. It's a very collaborative approach at Avis and Young. So even if something comes across my desk, Corey, and, I, and I'm like, you know what? I know what Corey wants. You know, we had a conversation last month. He's interested in this. Came across my desk, Corey, send me an email, maybe give you a phone call. Is this of interest to you? Right. Or maybe we haven't even hit the open market with you. Hey, Corey, I'm bringing this to market next week. You know, I just want to give you a call before in market because I knew that this is something you're interested in. Do you want to take a look? Yes, no, maybe so. Those are the types of benefits that you get when you're working with a commercial real estate broker who has their ear to the ground. It's, you know, it's just it's a very dynamic market. And you're right. It's not necessarily as broadly marketed as, say, residential and MLS. Yeah. What about the qualifying? Maybe we can just touch on that a little bit. Like, might be another show to dive into that, but what does that typically look like for, say, a commercial asset? So say if I came to Avis and Young in a car wash as the example, and I'm like, hey, I saw this on MLS. How are you guys going to see if I can qualify you know, to buy that asset? Great, great question, Corey. Typically, the first question we ask is, have you purchased a commercial asset in the past? And that's a really good qualifying question simply because we know you understand the process at some level. If it's your first time purchasing a commercial asset, you know, at some point along the line, whether it's the condition period where you have to get financing from the bank or, you know, someone's going to ask you if you can afford the building. We don't need to look deep into your finances. We just want to make sure that we're being conscientious of everyone's time because our reputation is very important when it comes to building relationships with investors and with purchasers, right? And as you understand, there's a time commitment that goes into valuing the properties, finding the properties, negotiating the properties, and closing on those properties. So what we really want to make sure is the purchaser real. Do they truly want to buy the building? And are they capable of buying the building? And then finally, when you buy the building, do you have experience in managing the building, right? We want to make sure that when our clients buy a building, they understand the process of managing, leasing, maintaining all of these buildings, right? We have a property management division. We have a workplace consulting division. We have a project management division for construction projects. So we can bring in a multitude of people to make sure that you're prepared to buy this building. We want repeat customers. We want people that are happy. We want people that are excited to own buildings and have successfully owned buildings, right? It's a two-way street. So there's a lot of due diligence at the front end, a lot of questions that may seem a little intimidating. It's really to protect the purchaser, right? And also protect the vendor or the seller's time to make sure that this is someone who can close on the transaction. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the asset, but it's also what do you also bring to the table to properly manage it? And also, can you afford it as well? Which makes sense for like down payment, that kind of thing. Because in real estate, I mean, if you're a first-time home buyer, you can do 5%, 20% pretty typical to avoid CMHC. So what kind of down payment is typical in the commercial? And now maybe this is too broad. I don't know. It's not that? too broad. It's a great question, Corey. And it really varies based on the asset class. And what I would suggest to your listeners is reach out to us and talk to our debt specialists because there are different financial products based on your net worth, based on what types of assets you own, based on what the asset class is, to how much money you can actually put down. I see. Okay. So, so there's it's, not one size fits all. It's I funny. Think, it's, I mean? None of these questions there aren't, right? It's always, there's so many, I guess, yeah. variables and that play into it. Yeah. Down payment, cap rate. I want to make sure that the listeners understand that it's an extremely dynamic market. And yeah. you know what? What I'll also say, Corey, 
is the advice that we offer our clients. We're a brokerage. So a lot of the deals that we do is similar to you. We're transaction-based. So when people call us, we're not going to build them hourly to ask questions about the market. We want them to feel comfortable contacting, giving us a text, giving us a call, sending us an email, because we're here to advise and to help them. We want to help them transact. Really, That's how Avis and Young is in business. That affects our revenues, transactionally, right? And that's also why I love this business is because I feel like my fiduciary duty is to whoever I'm representing, right? And they feel comfortable knowing that I'm going to give them the best advice to close the transaction that works best for them. And I'm not going to nickel and dime them throughout the entire process and try to extend it. So let's get this thing done for you. Let's make sure it's done properly. Let's make sure we have the best people in place. That makes sense. We did touch on this a little bit already, but so Calgary has a plan where I think is it 10 or 11 buildings that they're basically converting to condo residential? Yes. Great um, question. So I don't know the exact number and, and apologies. We no, definitely had an article recently come out about that. I think it was between 10 and 15. I forget the exact Is it 15? Number. Yeah, somewhere in that range. But what's the timeline on converting? Like, Because I know I have a friend that does abatement and he owns a company and he's down there right now. I think it's the old Nexon building. I think he's down there for like a year and they're just removing asbestos from that building mm -hmm. before they even start changing the infrastructure to basically convert that to apartments, right? So it must be years to convert some of these buildings. It must be in the... You know what? Honestly, Corey, once again, this is an example where that's outside of the scope of my service. Hey, it's we all good. a project management team and a property management team and connections with contractors. I'll give you better insight. Like it's not a one size fits all, especially at that scale. And, you know, a lot of these office conversions like to residential, it hasn't been done a lot, right? So you're learning as you go. And what are the permitting rules? What's the firewalls, washrooms? And once again, it's a complex market and requires multiple people who are professionals to get the job done properly. And, you know, we don't like to just give out flat numbers in front of people. It's like, hey, let's sit down and discuss what you need. Like, imagine yep. as someone who's coming to convert or remediate something in a commercial asset. The real answer is, when do you need it done by? Why do you need it done by that date? And is it something that we're able to accommodate? That would be sort of the way that we would look at it. Not necessarily, oh, 10 months. If there's yeah. so many moving parts, yeah. it's difficult to get a flat number to any of those types of questions. And obviously, with cost of construction going up, the cost to revitalize these and convert them is obviously less than like, hey, let's just build a brand new building, right? It's got to be more cost effective. It's expensive either way. <laughs> construction <laughs> costs. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. Construction costs have gone up substantially due to, you know, obviously supply chain delays, just general cost of goods have gone up, inflation, wages have gone up, supply of skilled trades have tightened. So times to complete work have been delayed. In some respects, obviously, not necessarily everything. So what I would say is that's why the city was really giving these incentives to the converters, the developers, because it didn't necessarily make sense for them to just do it straight up. They needed some level of incentive. And the reason why the city did that is, you know, the goal is when people start to move into these condos, these new residential buildings, one, you know, property tax, once you know people are actually in the buildings, two, those people are going to start spending money in the area. Right? They're going to be going there, buying groceries, eating at the restaurants, buying the coffee. They're going to be taking the LRT or maybe paying for parking. So that GST and those sales taxes are going to go up and, and over a period of time, hopefully pay for the investments you put into these buildings. Right, That's the goal. And also, you know, it revitalizes these areas. Right, You don't want an empty office building in the middle of 
downtown, right? You want people to be downtown and you want people who move into Calgary to enjoy the city and love where they live. So there's something beyond just the numbers. It's also a qualitative benefit. You know, you want these people, whoever's moving in or moving downtown to enjoy where they live. So a lot of benefits, a lot of exciting trends in Calgary, especially in the office side that I think when we look back 5, 10, 15 years, we're all going to be a lot happier because of it. Nice. Yeah, I can see that. Are you guys seeing any headwinds with interest rates being higher and this the cost of money going up? Do you see anything in the commercial world? Yes. <laughs> Short answer, yes, we are. So this is the funny thing, Corey, because we have a lot of people at Avis and Young who have different levels of just experience, right? They've seen interest rates at double digits. Some people have never seen double digit rates, right? So it's all based on perspective in those types of situations, which is why it's great to have such a large firm because you have so many different perspectives when you're doing deals. What I would say is as the interest rates rose, because they rose so quickly, the deal structures that were put together previously no longer made sense in some situations, right? Like you have a pro forma, you put all this planning and effort into a deal to get something done, right? So now that interest rates have shifted, the metrics have just changed, right? So the market will simply have to adapt to that new interest rate environment to have deals make sense. And then that's really the answer. It's like, are we seeing things slow down? Definitely seeing shift, right? Because people need to adapt and better understand where the market's going. Once people understand that and we're more normalized to that number and that, you know, people can conceptualize it, I think that's when we'll start to see people make better decisions. Yeah, that's true. And then the uh, with the net migration, like we know a lot of people are coming to Alberta. That must be also affecting the commercial space as well, right? Because residential side, we just don't have... I mean, obviously, it's very different numbers, but there's a lot of demand, which also creates jobs. And then, so are you seeing that as well, impact from high immigration numbers? Or Great question. So commercial real estate is a lagging indicator. So we're a result, typically, of where the economy is, not necessarily office space is low, so the economy is low. It's, you know, we're a result of certain things, right? So what I would say is, yes, we're having positive immigration. You're going to see that in hiring over the next two, three years and bringing people into the downtown, into the suburbia markets, into the office space. People who move to Alberta, they're going to need jobs. Whether they're in the office or not, they're going to need to support their lifestyle. It's a win-win. I think people are going to be able to find affordable homes. People are going to be able to have a higher standard of living moving to Alberta. And business owners are going to have better talent, better opportunity to hire. And office landlords and office space is going to be filled because there's just simply a natural growth in the population. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's positive. What I want to get at cross Corey, is in Alberta, it's extremely positive. You know, you read a lot of the global news right now, and Alberta is a great market. I think you see it in how people are moving here. And I just want to get that across that, you know, there's a lot of positivity, especially in our office and what we're trying to get across to our clients. Yeah. For sure. I did go through your Q3 report and it said that the AA space is most competitive. We did talk about that a little bit. And then some of the drivers was energy sector. Engineering was also a driver. Mm -hmm. And then it also talked about plug and play spaces and show suites. I just wasn't quite sure what that was. So I wonder if you could just explain that. Yeah, of course. So when you say a show suite, what that means is the landlord has pre-built space to suit a potential tenant's need, right? Similar to like when you have a home that, you know, the developer just built on brand new, someone can move in and they don't have to do any upgrades to it. And it's a similar idea. And the reason why that it has been over the past more successful than simply building out your new office space is one, time of relocation. So a new tenant can move into a space that's built out. 
effectively whenever they're capable of doing so when the negotiations are done and they're able to get a move because everything's built out. Two, cost of construction, as mentioned prior, has gone up substantially over the last well, two years due to supply chain delays, due to inflation, due to cost of labor. And because of that, the cost of construction two years ago compared to today, there's a delta there. So it, you can have more value in the deal if you just moved into space already built out rather than having to spend the value of the deal on constructing the space. And then third, I mean, it's typically nice space, right? These landlords invest heavily into their assets. And I challenge people to go to the office. I mean, a lot of these office buildings are beautiful nowadays, right? A lot of them have been recently renovated, like these class A, we call it flight to quality. These class A, class AA buildings, they're gorgeous. Me personally, I love having the glass windows and the views of downtown and the gym on site and the cafe and the cafeterias and the restaurants because one, it gets me out of my house, but my house doesn't offer these types of value adds to me when I'm working, right? So I truly believe that there is some value to go into an office space, especially in the class A and class W. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a great answer. Totally makes sense. Worked downtown for a number of years. Yeah, who doesn't want to be in a beautiful building with all those you know, yeah, amenities, right? So, hey, we're getting really close to the end. I really enjoyed having you on and just I think you really have given a ton of value. So I'm just going to hit you with a few final quick answer questions. What type of things do you like doing with your downtime outside of the investment world? Great question. I love to golf. Unfortunately, that season has passed. But then yep. it's on to ski season and love reading. Yeah, we got hit winter in Calgary a little bit too early for me. <laughs> yeah, that's Calgary for you. Yeah. How about a book or a movie that you would recommend? So a book that I recently read, Tim Grover, Relentless. He was the strength and conditioning coach for Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade. And I think he has an incredible mentality that a lot of people who are investors, who are entrepreneurial, can leverage to get an edge on the market. Nice. That sounds like a good one. Where's somewhere you'd like to travel, like a bucket list place that you've never been? Uh, you know, my fiance and I want to go to Japan. Nice. That'd be fun. That'd be a pretty neat place to go. Yeah, no, we're pretty excited. Your eyes already booked in? Or you... Well, she's a planner, so she already has the whole trip pretty much booked. We just have to figure out dates and, Perfect. and everything. So, yeah. That's awesome. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you or someone at Aves and Young, say, if they want to get started and learn more? Of course. So you can contact me really anyway, email, uh, mobile. You can contact the main line. The main reception will effectively direct you to exactly who you need to speak to. But if you see a so sign with the number, follow. You're going to be connected to the person who's going to suit your needs the best. Don't feel afraid that you're going to get connected and someone's going to not support you. If they're not the right person, they will easily direct you to the right person. Hey, awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Appreciate it, Corey. Thank you so much for having us. Okay, thank you. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.